Well, we're going to uh, start off with kind of a quick recap of what we've, where we've been, what we've been through, and then uh, we'll get into the, uh, the new stuff. Just for the, the whole series so far, we started off with the call, and I'll always do this because I think it's interesting how this stuff ties together. So we started with our call, and in general, we figured at the, at the most general sense, our call is to follow and obey. We, uh, we got into the, the magnitude issue that we'll be kind of coming back to through this. And uh, regarding, our, regarding the first magnitude item we added was obey. And we'll, try, we'll kind of tie these together uh, down the road a little bit. Then we talked about, well, it's not, uh, the series is not about what's our call, but it's the depth of our call. And the, the, the quick little version is, well, we know we're not called to be the fan in the bleachers. You know, this is not about being a fan in the bleachers. This is about being in the game and, and, and changing, changing lives and lives that are committed. And then you can figure out what does that mean. And uh, we got into that. We looked at Mark 8. I think this was the first week. I still have the handout of those scriptures. Looked at the first week if anyone needs that, like a Mark 8 handout. Mark 8, that's, of course, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We added uh, deny as the second word on our magnitude list that we'll be uh, uh, kind of coming back to. But we ended up talking about things. So, okay, how do we go from our call to talking about deny ourselves, these nice biblical things, and then we are biblical major things, and then we end up talking about stuff things. Well, what's, the, what's the connection there? How do we get to talking about stuff starting out with this, this major, uh, very, very deep uh, uh, concepts. Well, we talked about Tozer. Regarding our, regarding our call and following, we talked about this book, The Pursuit of God by Tozer. Tozer sees our pursuit is to know God. We need to know more about God. That's, the, that's kind of the first thing we have to do. And where the things came up was that in Tozer's take, the first thing we have to do and understand to know God better is understand ourselves better. And that the first step of that is understanding what he calls the tyranny of things. That's his, uh, kind of his phrase. That's how we got into the stuff, the stuff aspect of this. So there's a lot of different reasons we could look at, look at stuff. The, um, there's a lot of different reasons we can say that, uh, that this makes sense, that uh, the Tozer would say that. We'll tie this back a little bit uh, uh, in, in the recap here. We talked about Mark 8 says we are to, de- I'm read that again, we are to deny ourselves. If anyone seeks to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Bible.org made a note uh, that says to bear the cross is to accept the rejection of the world for turning to Jesus and following him. Discipleship involves a death that is like a crucifixion. So, okay, well, now how are we tying that to think to stuff again? Well, the quick take would be, what are all the things we are called to deny? In Mark 8, what are we called to deny? Just a quick, quick recap. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I just, our own life, right? I mean, what's that mean? Well, that means our past life, too. In, in other words, right, right. Worldly stuff, we'll call it there. Um, something came up in church this week, reputation. The word reputation came up. How much should we be concerned about our reputation? Well, let's see. 
Christ told me to deny myself. Christ told me to do this and this and this and this. And that all makes sense up until right up until the point of hurting my reputation. Well, no, your reputation. Hey, this is not about reputation. We're denying, deny, not we're not denying reputation. We're denying a concern over reputation. We're to, we're to follow Christ. In other words, we're getting into these really big things. Um, if we if we deny ourselves and follow Christ, who's leading our lives? Yeah. Now wait a minute. I'm in charge of my life. Okay. Do you see? So we're even, we're giving up leadership. We're giving up. We're we are called to give up the leadership over our over our lives. We're going to get into uh, down the road a uh, couple of weeks. I think one of the um, verses we're going to get into is. Proverbs 3, rely not on your own understanding. I think that's where kind of this concept I'm talking about here, when it gets into, that, we, that's one of these scriptures we can read and we've read it a thousand times and it's on a million refrigerators. Rely not on our own understanding. Sure. Um, right up until the point that I actually need to deny my own understanding. Okay? In other words, I, I give that full lip service okay? right up until the point where it conflicts with my own understanding of something. And that's kind of that's in other words, in other words, this deny word. That's why we'll get into the magnitude aspect of this. We'll cover that more down the road too. The magnitude of deny. This is this huge thing, and I, I think the reason Tozer sees denying our lust for stuff, and the stuff is got a lot of different aspects to it. I think the reason he sees that as step one is I think it's kind of like a baby step one, meaning. If you're called to deny your reputation, you're called to deny leadership over your own life, you're called to deny your current life and even to the point of death, well, if I can't deny shiny things first, I got a problem. In other words, if, if I can't break away from my addiction to nice things or the things I want or the right to pick my own things according to what I think I've earned or what I think I've deserved, or what I've saved for, because I've, I've earned that effectively. Well, let's talk about that. If I can't break that, then denying this other stuff is going to be, is going to be a, a really, really tough down the road. I think one of the other reasons we talk about, or the Tozer brings up this uh, uh, the tyranny of things first, is we know it's a universal problem. We, we know that. I mean, I think in the first week I said, okay, everybody raise your hand if you're sure you've got no problem with liking things. Yeah, right? We've all got it. We've all got it in spades. Some of us have it worse. Some of us have it not at all or barely at all. Some of us have different aspects of it. We talked about there's, the, there's kind of the three categories of the problems with things, the things themselves or our reliance on things was the next level or the things actually even becoming our identity. Some of, us, some of us may really not have a problem with the stuff. In other words, just don't care about shiny this or expensive watches or this, this, this. We got, man, you know what? I think I'm pretty good with that. I think I'm pretty solid. Then someone says, now, um, where does your confidence lie, though? In my stuff, in my 401K? Because, man, I'm, you know. In other words, completely, you can be completely reliant and have that problem with things, even if you don't have this thing. So you put it all together. This is, I think this... I'm guessing that he sees this as step 1A on the road to a deeper walk with the Lord. You've got to get over this. this is, if you can't get over this, this other stuff, 
not going to be uh, not going to go well. I quoted it a couple of times here. This paragraph. Let me exhort you to take this seriously. It is not to be understood as mere Bible teaching to be stored away. It is a marker on the road to greener pastures. We dare not try to bypass it. We must ascend one step at a time. If we refuse one step, we bring our progress to an end. So um, he sees this as absolutely the first piece of this. He doesn't, he doesn't say this. I'm, I see this as like a first test on this of what he's seen is like, okay, I want to be on a different walk. I'm been, I've, I've been a follower. I've, I, I think I've been a follower. Uh, I've been a believer for maybe a number of years. But I haven't really turned away from the things I like. I haven't really put God's priorities ahead of my priorities. Maybe this is the first step in a direction for that for a lot of us. And I think this becomes, well, if that's great, great. You know, I picture Tozer saying something like, that's great. I'm glad you want to do that. Now, what are you willing to do first? Let's talk about stuff. And if you can't get through the discussion on the stuff with Tozer, you know, that he just kind of goes like, well, now we know where you're at. You know, thanks for clarifying, you know, kind of, kind of a thing. So it's, uh, it's step 1A. With those, with those three categories, the three categories, the first one was the pride in things themselves. And the thing I want you to, to remember is the key words with that, the key issues with the pride in things themselves, that all starts when we compare our stuff to somebody else's stuff. And the only reason we're comparing our stuff to somebody else's stuff is because we care about that comparison. So the, the key things to keep in mind are why am I comparing and why do I care about the stuff? The second level was the reliance on things. And the reliance, the way we look for that in our own lives is we ask, which things am I terrified of losing? So it's a fear aspect, which it's not even just, in other words, I'm not, gee, I'm not, um, wow, I've got a really expensive watch. Am I afraid of losing my watch? No, 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 I'm not talking about that. Not, not, not that kind of things. Our fear of losing things is probably going to be like our you know, retirements and things like that. How do you balance that with a, what's a prudent amount to have saved? That's an individual, that's an individual decision. The third category I think the hardest one to rid ourselves of is when things become our identity to some level. In other words, there's, there's ways that things in our lives can help us like ourselves more. What are the things? In other words, the example I use, because it's a nice silly one and nobody in here owns a Bentley, I don't think. But if I owned a Bentley, I might have a problem with a flashy car, and the car would be one level. But there's a pretty good chance, I know me, there's a pretty good chance that in my mind, I'd be Bentley guy, right? In other words, that's kind of part of who I am. I, everywhere I go, everybody knows I'm successful. I'm like, do you see what I'm saying? That's much more insidious than just liking this car that might be ridiculous. It's become me, and it's become part of my identity. And at this level now, we're talking about things that very often aren't stuff. There. In other words, it's not just an item. It's um, more like, it can be things like um, memberships in, in different groups like where, where it becomes your identity is in this almost like an elite club. Um, it could literally be elite, like a country club membership. Is there anything sinful about country club memberships? I don't think so. Until it becomes your identity of like, wait a minute, I could never give that up. That's who I am. I'm country club guy. 
I go to I go, I have dinner there four nights a week with this particular group of friends, and we talk about what our stocks did that week. I mean, you've become country club guy. That's not good. Your identity has changed based on those things, which is fine as long as you're, as long as you'd be willing to say, okay, God, I don't care about that. But that's that's just an example. The next thing, remember Isaac. We talked about Isaac. But now we're talking about non-stuff things that became a little too important here. Um, the one biblical example that uh, uh, the Tozer gave us was Isaac. What did we learn from that? We're not just talking about bad, ridiculous, over-the-top things. In other words, we're not talking about Bentleys. Okay, yes, a Bentley itself is not inherently bad, but conveniently none of us drive one, so that makes a good example. So, the, uh, so we're not just talking about over-the-top items. Uh, anything can become a problem, even, even uh, a child. The most interesting, I think, part of the Isaac example is that we know that this thing, that we know it became a problem. He withheld it from God. In other words, we're not guessing. We're not backfitting. The Bible says he withheld it from God, and that's what the problem was, was the withholding. We know for a fact that child was an answer to prayer, was an answer to a promise, was a class A miracle, whatever you want to call it, provided by God, and even that provided by God answer to prayer was a problem. So that tells us anything can be a problem, right? Now, the other way to think of that, a quick note, even so even the God-given things can be a problem. There should be a giant asterisk after that, because I wrote that down, and it kind, of be, it kind of becomes like, even God-given things, as opposed to what? You see that? So, I mean, I, even, you know, my own thought. Yeah, even God-given things. As opposed to what? Well, God gives us money. Yeah. And money is not inherently bad. Right. It's the love of money. Right, sure, sure. Yeah, it's just, and, and everything we have, every possession we have, we may think it's abundant, we may not think it's abundant, we can argue about that, but everything we have is from God. So here's what here's kind of the, the quick thought. I the, uh, I wrote this down in the handout. You'll see. Um, you know, the quick thought would be, oh, 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 yeah, I get it. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't mean, I didn't mean. Yeah, everything comes from God, but uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, the kids are something that that God provides, and but the stuff I buy is different because I bought it. Back to like, well, where where'd that money come from? I mean, what do you mean? What do you, Everything comes from God, no matter how we look at it. The, uh, and you say, oh, well, wait. No, I'm talking about the things that I earned. All right. We're not getting any better here. The word choices aren't helping us out. Oh, okay, wait a minute. Okay, well, I don't mean earned. I mean the things that I saved for. All right, never mind. You know, you just, you just start. You, it, it's a, it's a, you're just running down, the, running down the rabbit hole with that. So the, uh, the key questions, wrapping this up. Again, how often? Ask God. I had a list last week of things we could pray about. I don't know if everyone uh, uh, got these. Paul, do you want to hand that around? I think a lot of them missed this. That was real late. Just a list of things we can pray for. Uh, kind of the keys there are ask God to open your eyes to how often you compare things. And I think the single biggest one is, is pray that God would help you to care less about those comparisons. Why do I care? Or ask yourself, why do I care? When I'm comparing things, when I see somebody and I compare stuff, why do I, why do I care? One thing we hit last week, this is important, on the biblical principles, 
everything we're talking about stuff, we can't judge others by this. This is, this is all for self-examination. This is not about looking at our neighbors and our friends and figuring out what they've done that might be over the line. The reason for that is, biblically, this is principle-driven, biblically, not specifics-driven. The example in the Bible is there's, there's never a, number, a maximum number of sheep it's okay to own, right? I mean, look at, look at Abraham. Um, uh, he owned a gazillion sheep. God, as far as we know, God didn't say, wait, you're withholding your gazillion sheep from me. No, it was Isaac was the problem, not his gazillion sheep. So, but we don't have numbers on this stuff, so this is always just for self-examination. We're just, not, we're just not called to look at our brothers and judge them by this stuff. So there's no boundaries, and uh, so this is strictly for self-examination. Now, moving on. We've got um, new stuff. Okay, we know this is a universal problem. You know, everybody has problem with things. Do you think there are some people that have a bigger problem with it than other people? Yeah, right, absolutely, absolutely. And a, a bigger difference, like it's not like um, it's, there's a lot of things that are bad that some of us really just don't get at all. In other words, there's, there's people that have zero problem with alcohol or, or pornography or this or the field, just zero, just, no, just not a problem at all, and something else. This tyranny of things pretty much hits everybody at, at some level. So that helps us. That's why, like I mentioned, that's what makes it a good example for Tozer to talk about. That's what makes it step 1A. But that also, I think, I think it helps us in, while we're examining ourselves to think about, am I on the hot list? Am I on the danger list? And I think, there's, I think we can compile a, a kind of a list of like, wow, I really, need to, I really need to watch myself. Have you ever been called a show-off? In your life, <laughs> think about it. What's the personality trait of a show-off? This, we're, we're saying, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I have been called a show-off in my life. I mean, when I was younger, that was yeah, sure. Why wouldn't you show off as a kid? Yeah, you know. What does being a show-off mean by definition? You care about what other people think. That's what it means, right? Has anyone ever called you vain? That's what vain means. You care. <laughs> you do care. You do care. If you're, I mean, so so we get it. You go, all right. Well, um, you ever been called proud? Oh, he's a, he's a proud man. You ever been called proud? That's a good thing. Wait a minute. No, I meant proud in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now you're thinking, all right. Well, you're safe because you've never been called proud, never been called vain, and no one ever called you show off. Anyone ever called you trendy? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of us can say nope. What would trendy, what, what does the word trend mean? Trend means it's something that's cool today and wasn't yesterday. We know it won't be tomorrow, but it matters. It matters to us, to, to folks that are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, well, no, I'm not trendy, but I am fashionable. Ah, same thing. Yeah, fashionista, that's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. You're still safe. Are you a connoisseur of anything? What does a, what's a connoisseur of something? Connoisseur? Of, yeah, kind of an expert. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, it's, it's not that I, uh, I'm not proud of this in any way, but I have to tell you, I am a bit of an expert in this field, and the stuff I have is better than your stuff in this field. Not that I care. Not that I, I don't care at all. No, but, and, and now that could be something legitimately where, I mean, there's, there's an aspect of, of honesty with this. Someone could be like, 
I think I could be a connoisseur of fine cheese. Isn't that a random thing? And uh, well, we found a place years ago that just served like this, this real assortment of cheese. And it's, it's this weird thing, and I don't think it's pricey enough to be like the dangerous connoisseur. So, I mean, I, I think there's things out there where someone's like, wow, they're really a, they're really a connoisseur of, of, this, of this odd thing. But, but just saying, this is kind of one of those, one of those red flags. doesn't mean you're uh, uh, ragingly guilty of, uh, of a tyranny of things, but I would propose we're all guilty, so we're just kind of, this is for self-reflection. Working down the list here, perfectionist. Why would perfectionists be a little bit more at risk, maybe? I think so. I think there's a because there's the kind of the OCD aspect of perfectionism, like I need to have everything right, and then there's also the the polished, like oh no, I'm buttoned up. Yeah, my shirts are going to always be perfect, and I'm going to be this, and I, why? Because I care. Oh, there's that word again. Okay? So all these things, all these things that help us to care a little bit could potentially be danger signs for us. Now, the last one, why, this is just a positive thing. There's nothing negative with this at all. Are you competitive? Have you ever been called competitive? Yeah, I'm not, that, I don't have that one. I, I, can, I can honestly say I don't think I have that one. But the competitive, the competitive nature is you like to win, and you'll work pretty hard to win. Now, am I talking about bad things? No, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, look, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Regarding your mother's fault, there's a uh, Malcolm Forbes, if you all are old enough to, to know who Malcolm Forbes was. Malcolm Forbes had an interesting, interesting quote. Someone asked him, um, on uh, what's the what's the best way to make to be wealthy or some form of that, and he said, "Choose your parents well." <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. So the the point there was just that these are different ways. How much we care, we can measure on some of these things. The more we care, the more we're uh, uh, likely to be uh, to get in some trouble with this. Now what? So great. Okay, so we're all guilty. We've all got a problem with it. And we all need to change. Now what? Tozer has the answer, uh, has an answer, I guess I should say. Well, surprise, surprise, we bring it to God is the first step. Or I shouldn't say is the first step. That's the step, really. He does say as we, as we bring it to the Lord, first of all, he should put away all defense and make no attempt to excuse himself in either his own eyes or before the Lord. Whoever defends himself will have himself for his defense. We'll look at Zechariah 3 uh, later tonight and, uh, and or in a bit here. We'll uh, uh, see that as well there under a different context. Let him come defenseless before the Lord, and he will have for his defender no less than God himself. The next step, let him come to God in full determination to be heard. Let him insist that God accept his all and that God takes the things out of his heart and himself will reign there in power. So, you go to God and say, I got a problem. I'm, not, I'm guilty. I'm not going to defend myself. God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to take these things out of my heart and reign in my heart in power there. It may be he will need to become specific, to name things and people by their names, one by one. A little bit later, he calls this uh, renunciating, this way of renunciation. What would that 
it may need he will become need to become specific, name things and people by their names one by one. Is, is he going too far with that? Do you think? Why? Why is that? Why is that a good idea? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because how how easy would it be to say like, oh God, I bring this whole topic to you. Well, what? Oh, everything. Just everything. Sure, I bring everything to you. And you can say it can say everything a lot easier than you can say. Okay, God saying like, can you imagine God saying, what about Isaac? Okay, well I said everything, but I didn't mean Isaac, right? So that's that's the naming it. I don't know about you. I'll I'll bet you that we could all come up with our five danger items. You know, because I'll bet because whether it's the fear or the coveting, I'll bet I'll bet we can all pretty quickly in our own heads. We may not talk about it with our friends. I'll bet we could all come up with the things where we go, yeah, this might be this might be a dangerous item for me. And naming those is the value of that. Because it reminds me of a, of a Happy Days episode from a million years ago where Fonzie couldn't spit out the word love. This is a famous episode. It's been mocked a million times. He literally couldn't speak the word. Remember that? And he would stutter over trying to say the word love. That's how I, that's how I think this is. This is that was, what's that? Yeah, yeah. In this one, it's he just can't. I, I, this is the kind of thing where, okay, go before God. Name it. Um, if it was uh, my country club membership, which I don't have, but that's okay. Nothing, I'm not saying it's bad if you have one. Just say no. It, right. But if that, if that became your identity and that was something you needed to lay down before the Lord, that'd be the kind of thing, like, all right, yeah, God, that's, uh, let me, well, wait, okay, now wait a minute, but this just makes good sense for me. There's a reason, you know, to, it might be hard to spit that out, just naming these things one by one. Right. Yeah. I can see that in my life. I told, I've, you know, you've heard my stories of all the fancy cars I used to have. Um, I got news for you. Those cars didn't go away because I gave them away. Okay, God had to remove my ability to have those things for me to see the folly in hindsight of those things. Okay, so I didn't go through some like, wow. Okay, like now I'm grateful for it today. But but that wasn't by choice. So that was a gift from God, right? That and here let me let me tell you since you mentioned it. Guess I'll, I'll give you the next few words here after this. I'll read the whole thing this time. And maybe he, he will need to become specific to name things and people by their names one by one. If he will become drastic enough, he can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes and enter the good land long before the slower brethren who coddle their feelings and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. So in other words, he's, he, uh, there's, a, there's a timeline on this. And it may take a while. He mentions it somewhere else here. Let me think so I can find this one. The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him. Or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. That's what I can see. Kind of, I went like, I mean, I just see these things different. I see fancy cars now differently. I really see them as like, huh, I just really don't care. And don't forget... I'm not holding myself up in other categories 
In other words, I'm not, I'm not, because, because I can hold up this one thing and say, wow, I see cars differently than I used to see cars. Okay. And that's true. However, don't, I don't want anyone to think that that's me saying, I've become universal guy who's good in all things and there's, I've, none of this stuff applies to me anymore. No, I'm saying that one tiny specific thing I can see, and, but, I, but through that one tiny specific thing, I can see how God has, has worked and I can see the pattern and I can see, wow, that opens my eyes to the other 999 I need to go or you know, whatever, the, whatever the number is. But it's been an interesting process. Yeah. That's Job is Job is always the benchmark of of those things like that. I figure whenever you're enduring anything, an illness or anything, and you're thinking, man, it can't get any worse than this. I just picture, I just picture Satan being empowered to do everything he possibly could do to make it as bad for you as possible and not kill you. And that makes you say, okay, I don't think I want to benchmark myself against Job. Like, I don't think, I don't know. That's wild. That's, a, that's just a wild. Right. Now, I don't think, I don't think there's also, I don't think there's any evidence to think that that was his core problem that got him into this. Because I think that was, he was unique enough that he didn't even have a problem with that stuff on the front end, which is what made God say, I'm going to hold this guy. Hey, have you seen him? Have you seen him? Okay. I don't know how far away I am from the guy God holds up as a good example. I think I'm pretty far away. So, I mean, uh, Job's, Job's amazing. There's a lot of, there's, there's so many lessons in there. Now, we talked about, this, so far this sounds like a quick checklist. Okay, well, that's what I'll do. So I'll do this. I'll insist. Tozer tells me to make no defense, make no defense for myself. Insist God takes these things out of my heart. He does say it can't be learned. This must be experienced. He said it's a formal renunciation of things. However, now, you say, well, that doesn't sound that hard. His next three analogies here regarding the insisting, I wrote these down again. Everyone will get this at the end of the night here. Insist. Let us never forget that such a truth as this cannot be learned by rote as one would learn the facts of physical science. They must be experienced before we can really know them. We must, in our hearts, live through Abraham's harsh and bitter experiences if we would know the blessedness which follows them. The ancient curse will not go out painlessly. The tough old miser within us will not lie down and die obedient to our command. He must be torn out of our heart like a plant from the soil. He must be extracted in agony and blood like a tooth from the jaw. He must be expelled from our soul by violence as Christ expelled the money changers from the temple. And we shall need to steel ourselves against his piteous begging, the old man inside us, and to recognize it as springing out of self-pity, one of the most reprehensible sins of the human heart. If we would indeed know God in growing intimacy, we must go this way of renunciation. And if we are set upon the pursuit of God, he will sooner or later bring us to this test. So he does say God does the work. So you're, all right, well, God does the work. It's just my job to lay it down and insist God does the work and, and mean it. Well, yeah, and the next part of your job is to bear the agony that's going to come with it. Okay, this is not going to be easy. It's not going to be, it's not a quick thing. It's not, it's not saying some magic words and everything's, everything's all gone. Um, he insists. That becomes, I think that's what he means by the insist. Like, 
you don't just say it. It's not just a prayer. You say, oh, okay, God, okay, I bring everything to you. You know, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, this is, it's not that simple. If, you, if you're not bearing agony over this, it probably hasn't happened. If you're not, uh, if it doesn't feel like a tooth being extracted from the jaw the way it would have in Tozer's day, which I don't think is the way tooth, teeth being extracted probably feels today. Be like, that's not that painful. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I'll, I'll bet impoverished child Tozer uh, is not thinking of uh, the anesthesia version on that. So he has his to-do list, and if you're in the book, if you have that, it's on 18 and 19 is where he goes. He doesn't break it out into bullets, but it, it really is. I mean, but that's his, uh, that's his approach to this. The uh, renunciation is a big word. Um, I really would like to encourage you not to think of that as magic words. You know, I mean, that's not the point. It's not, it's, you, you, you got to mean it, um, and again, look for, the, look for the agony of it. If there's no agony... I would put it this way, back to, the, back to the praying that God would open our eyes. If there's no agony, I would propose you definitely need to pray again about what the things are. Because no if, pain, no gain. No, no gain, no gain. I wouldn't have put that in there, but I'm glad you said that. that does, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, probably, that's probably pretty true. What Tozer does, if you haven't seen it, there's never footnotes. He's quoting scripture throughout, like multiple times on a page. That you'll be like, oh yeah, right now where is that from? And some of them you'll know, and some you won't. Yeah. And but there's there's no there's not even at the back of like oh like there's nowhere to look it up and go okay wait halfway down page 18 now where is that from? It's not in here. Uh, so point being, he may have quoted it. I mean I I whiffed on it. This is an odd book too. I don't know. This has been published many many times. Mine doesn't even have a publishing company, a date. I mean, if I hadn't had it for a long time, I would think like it was like a bootleg copy or something. Like, yeah, it has nothing in it. I mean, it doesn't have like a year, a publisher, a, the the num the publishing numbers, or you know, I guess it has that. But like, anyway, so um, so I, I figured it was just I figured I just didn't have the references because it was this borderline bootleg, or you know. Oh yeah, interesting. I've taken some of that. Some of that on the on the other side, I've always been amazed that the disciples in their books um, that they've written that they can quote the Old Testament so perfectly and accurately. And I don't think I, I have a hunch that those guys didn't have study Bibles. <laughs> it's just a hunch. I don't think they had study Bibles with all the footnotes. They didn't even have Bibles. Right. Right. They had an oral tradition yeah. passed down through the synagogue. Right. And their minds worked right. better than our minds. Exactly. So the level of memorization these guys had is just a, just amazing. Different thing there. All right. So so far, here's the good news, bad news. You feeling bad about man? Boy, I'm 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 I got an F in this category of tyranny of things. So far, we've effectively only covered one reason to get rid of, to worry about things and pride and, and all this stuff. And effectively, everything we've talked about so far is that pride's bad. Tozer calls it a tyranny, calls it a perversion. Pride's bad. We need, we need to get rid of it. Effectively, that's all we've covered so far. We're going to change gears. We're going to go into the second reason to get, to get, that pride is bad. Pride is bad 
because it's folly. It's pure folly. We'll, we, we need to come to understand we have no merit. If we have no merit, then anything we would have pride in is folly. In other words, wow, you're prideful. I, I, know, you, I know you well. I can just tell. I know you're prideful. It's, it's, it's trendy. And trendy, yes. <laughs> That's right. And competitive. That's right. So, but... I've got some bad news for you. Not only are you full of pride and you need to remove all that pride, I've got, I've got worse news for you. It's silly for you to have that much pride. You're mistaken. You're mistaken to have that pride. You're wrong. You, do, you, you got nothing to be proud of. Okay? There is, there's no merit. There's, there's no merit under us. And uh, if without merit, then we need to really think about our pride uh, from a from a different perspective. Let's look at Zechariah. My apologies. A lot of this stuff we've been way away from the Bible. We'll be we'll be much heavier in the Bible now for the rest of the our six weeks here. But let's go to Zechariah three. One quick example, and then we'll talk about it. And then we've got some other examples. Zechariah three is the clean garments for the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, this is Zechariah, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. He starts out in filthy clothes. There's, there's, there's effectively two Joshuas in this. Okay? And we need to see ourselves as, as there's, these, there's these two parts. There's the old us, there's the new us, there's the... There's the just two different aspects. The Joshua that Satan is getting ready to accuse is covered in filthy garments. Well, what's, what's that filthy? What are we talking about for filthy in this passage? What's the document? What's the actual word filthy here? It's dung. It's a dung coat. Joshua has a dung coat. His dung coat gets removed and clean garments get put on him. Okay? They're not garments he earned. They're not garments he saved for. Okay? He had no control of that. He didn't make them clean. He didn't wash them clean. He, he has filthy robes. Tom covered this when we went through this. The most, one of the most interesting aspects of this passage is that Joshua is doing nothing. He's not speaking. He can't defend himself. What did Tozer say? You try to... Defending yourself is not going to work out well. So we need to not. That's, so he's, Joshua's just standing there. He's guilty as guilty in a dung coat. His dung coat gets removed and replaced with clean garments. Those are replaced by God. Jesus is uh, the angel of the Lord. So the next time you have a prideful thought, 
ask yourself, which version of me is prideful about this? Is it me in my dung coat that's my own doing? Or is it me in the righteous, clean garments? In other words, which one do you have pride in? Do you have pride in your dung coat? Well, it's kind of hard to have pride in a dung coat. Okay, so it's not the dung coat. So you're saying you have pride in the righteous, in you in the righteous coat that you didn't make righteous. It's not your righteousness. Okay? So which, where, which of those would you have, which of those has any merit for you? You got nothing. You got nothing. Old you, old you is wearing a dung coat. You're not going to get away from that. Old you is covered in dung. New you is not covered in dung. It's covered in a clean garment that you don't have anything, that you don't get any credit for. You have no merit in that garment. You didn't make it clean. You didn't earn it clean. It's a gift. You're standing there saying nothing before Satan. Okay? Now that gets back, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to that. This, this, this section, this passage is not about pride fundamentally. It's not about pride. This passage is about we are all either are or were the burning sticks in the fire. Okay, everyone's a burning stick in the fire. The question is, have you been removed or are you yet to be removed from the fire? So in other words, it's not like, well, the burning fire represents those guys that do bad things. This is a, at, the, at the jail. I've gone over this passage. The, the guys at the jail, will really, they really can understand the, the burning stick in the fire thing. Because the guys at the jail are a lot more comfortable with their own guilt than you would think. Their guilt has been put on public display. And they, they, they're, they're choosing, when they're listening to us on a Sunday afternoon, they're choosing to be there. They've got no problem. They are absolutely familiar with their guilt, and they really get the burning stick in the fire aspect of, uh, of Zechariah. And which are you? Are you the burning stick that's been removed from the fire? Or are you the burning stick that has yet to be removed from the fire with, with, with your sin? Now, the pride is a little bit of a twist off of that, but think about that. Just for establishing the ground rules as we move into merit, how much merit? Okay, which of you has merit? Is it the you covered in the dung coat or the you in the righteous coat that's, that you don't have anything to do with, that you received as a gift? Which of those two? Which of those two do you have pride in? I got, I got, not, I got nothing, right? So let me tell you how we got um, the, the, I think I mentioned to you in the first night, I was kind of chasing this, the depth of our call thing when this, this whole started, this kind of the germ of this, I, this thing that really been bothering me. I had a discussion with somebody at a ministry group about the whole concept about being the, seems like we need to be the players on the field and not just the fans in the stands cheering on. I'm a fan of Jesus. Well, I'm a fan of Jesus two hours a week. You know, that's what kind of a fan I am. I say, man, I don't know. Something just seems, there's, there's, a, there's a depth to this, you know. And the other thing that was kind of popping up at the same time was this concept of our own merit. And then the two ended up mixing and kind of spreading to each other, and then, and then this series is kind of the outcome of that. The germ on this merit concept was something, I learned this from my dad. I, I, I saw this and I went through this with my dad. My dad had the oddest thing. You know, she's from a real small town, and in a small, this isn't very theological for the next couple of minutes here, not very theological, very practical. In a small town, 
you have a very limited number of fill-in-the-blank, auto repair people, AC contractors, uh, carpenters, whatever it is. You've got a very small pool. Their credentials might be sketchy in places. You're not really sure, okay? You know, um, but I don't know. Jimmy said they fixed his car, so we'll give it a shot. You know, that kind of a thing. My entire life, my dad had this, this behavior that, was, that you could just see this pattern. The pattern was, because you're always needing something repaired. There's always something going on. He had different properties, and uh, uh, there's always something to be done. The, the behavior was, or the, the pattern here, was that there'd always be good news. Whew. This time, I hired Bob to make that fix on the, uh, the AC compressor. Bob made the fix. Now, the pattern is, you would, the next five minutes, you'd be hearing about Bob's amazing credentials and how awesome Bob was because for all these different reasons, that this guy was just absolutely amazing, it would approach Bob walking on water, okay? And, and you'd get to that. However, the guy that did it last time, let's say Jimmy, 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 did, he didn't know what he was doing at all, it turns out. And it turns out someone else in town might have had something bad to say about Jimmy and this, 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 and more and more evidence about Jimmy didn't know anything. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. James. James, is that? <laughs> no, so the, the pattern, it was, it was uh, the characters were developed like a spaghetti western where, where there was the guys in the white hats and the guys in the black hats. The guys in the white hats were all good all the time. Everything was great. You know, and I'd wait for the stories to finish, and he helps the little ladies across the sidewalk downtown. I mean, it was, you know, and the, the bad guys were, and, you know, and I think he kicked his cat. You know, I mean, just, just they were all bad all the time. And so you'd see it was, it was you know, like a, like, a, like a bad movie where the characters are just way too simplified. So, what's that? Yeah, right, right. There was the white hats and the black hats, and there was the good guys and the bad guys. Nobody was gray. Nobody was reality. In our own lives, there's the good and the bad. There's the, well, he's this, but he's that. It wasn't that. It was this character. Anyway, so you see this year after year after year after year after year after year. And so I'm going through one of these. And the most important part here is to realize that seasonally the roles changed. Whoever was today's white hat was inevitably going to be the black hat a mere couple of months from now when the next repair was needed. So you'd see this progression. Okay, This went on for 40 years, my entire adult life. Like I, like you'd, you'd see this progression. So at some point, he's come across the new white hat, white hat du jour, yeah, you're the, the, the AC contractor of the month. And you're, you're getting this story, and, he's, and, and whatever it was, was he threw the other guy under the bridge a little too hard or something. I can't remember exactly. But I was like, I'm like, Dad, 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 it, it, there's no way this, this, this guy is not all good, and this guy is not all bad. Dad, it doesn't work that way. Neither one of them has any merit before God. And I, it's kind of one of these things where, like, I don't know where that slipped out, but I'm like, neither one of these has any merit before God. And I was kind of like, yeah. 
Neither one of these has any merit before God. And then it was like, and I don't either. I don't either. I don't either. Why would I have, yeah, why would I have actual merit? What would my merit be? And that was, and I was back to the Zechariah aspect of like, what case would I make for myself on my own merit before God? What would, oh yeah, but uh, I told you, went to a fine university. Like, well, what is that? Right? Well, uh, why would that count? And so, um, so that was the germ of just this, of, of chasing down this merit and uh, talked to a lot of people about it. And I was like, I think I have no merit, you know, and people would agree with that a lot of times, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I, you, would, you would get into it. And I, I, it, was, it, would, it took a while. And then the picture starts to kind of come together. And then somewhere in there, you start reading some Tozer. And it's kind of like, oh, I think I'm seeing the picture come together here. A lot of this stakes, a lot of this stuff makes more sense when I acknowledge I have no merit. When I see myself as having no merit, a lot of things make more sense because it, it cleans up a lot of passages and concepts and things that are actually muddied by me thinking there's some merit there at all. So the next, the next, our next magnitude word. Again, we'll kind of wrap these up. Merit. Now let's look at another passage here. Let's look at uh, Philippians 3:8. We looked at this briefly a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was in the last week. Philippians 3:8. This is Paul. We talked about this about him having confidence in the flesh and and all the things he was confident of. His background. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists all these great things about himself. Uh, his lineage, his education, his uh, position. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. The all things being those things he just listed. I consider them all rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, we hit this a couple weeks ago. What's that word rubbish there? Same thing. Same thing. Dung. Dung. Now, don't forget, in, uh, a lot of translations will tell you, it's not translated. Dung wasn't even the word Paul used. It was the vulgar word in society at that time for dung. Now, you know what that must prove? That must prove that all Scripture is not God-breathed because there's no way... God would have chosen that ugly word. You think that's right? Well, I got a, I got a problem for you. Let's assume all Scripture is God-breathed. That was God talking. He wanted to get your attention. He figured you could handle it. Okay? And he wants to make clear the value of these things. Okay? Zechariah says dung. It's interesting that people, the translators over the no, oh, we can't put that. Let's put filthy. So, Zechariah says dung. Paul calls it dung. Doesn't even call it dung. Okay? There's a consistency here. To me, these are, these are nailing down that we have no merit. We just have no merit at all. Now, same thing. I've, I've used this example talking to the, the, the prisoners as well. Last quick example. 
if you're coming up with reasons that doesn't apply to you, like, all right, well, I don't know, that's, that seems like an exaggeration. Let's go look at Isaiah 64. Well, we all, you all know it. It's the filthy rags passage. If you're sitting around thinking, well, I can't believe he referred to me as dung. Nothing could possibly be, be fouler than dung. You know what the, the filthy rags in Isaiah, we are all filthy rags? You know what the filthy rags are? Okay. Yeah, it's used menstrual rags. That's what we are. Now, same thing. Ask yourself, now is all scripture God-breathed? Or is this somebody just, somebody had a little too much of their super weak wine uh, back then. They always excuse all the wine. Oh, it wasn't wine. That was just this real weak stuff. The... Uh, the uh, well, it gets you drunk if you had too much. So that's all that matters. But the uh, so did someone uh, someone get a little crazy, or or is there a pattern here? The pattern here is these are the things. Now that one, the Isaiah one, is a little bit. I don't want to say out of context, but I mean applying that directly to us today is a little more uh, of, a, of a stretch than these these other ones. I think the Zechariah and um, the Philippian ones are just bullseyes for the concept that we have no merit. We have no merit. And if you think you have merit, we'll talk about it more next week. If you think you have merit, why, why would I have merit? Think about how many things in the Bible to get messed up if I have merit. How can I have merit? What, would, what, does, that, what does that say? What, think about all the analogies to our salvation. Um, what part of my salvation is my merit? Well, yeah, but I found God. No, you didn't. Well, I drew him to me. Oh, wait, no, that was the other way. Let's see. Well... I, I opened my eyes. No, no. I'll give you kind of a hint. Um, what would the magnitude of that uncleanness be? That's as unclean as you can get. Okay? That's, that's where a lot of this magnitude stuff is going. Okay? The, um, our denial, what level of denial are we called to? Absolute. Absolute. What level of obedience are we called to? Absolute. Okay. What level of merit do we have? Zero. Okay, there's a there's a we're working on lists of things. Yeah. Where it's like okay, there's not it's a it's a whole category or different categories of things where it makes no sense for us to be have a ten percent role. Like, okay. Well, Jesus saved me, and I'm grateful, but, you know, I get 10% credit for that, right? Okay, that doesn't even make sense. Okay, just these, these pictures just don't even make sense. So anytime we start to see that we get credit for anything, in this case, just, just the merit, me having any merit in anything doesn't even make biblical sense with this other stuff. And then, tying back to where we were going, if I have zero merit, why... Do I have any pride? Why would I have pride in that thing, this thing, that thing? It's just, it doesn't even make sense. So the point tonight, the first point was we put the wrap on the tyranny of things stuff, which is all a long way of saying pride bad. And then the second part we're getting into, not only is pride bad, pride's folly. Because I got, I got worse news for you than you got a bad thing with pride. You have no reason to have any pride. So that's a... That's all, these are the, the handouts covering the, the, quick, um, the quick recap of all the, the tyranny of things uh, stuff there, if I've missed any of these. 
that's not enough, let me know. Thanks, y'all.